Hello and welcome to Neither the Time Nor the Space. My name's David, and as always, I'm joined with the venerable Matt. Hello there. So, um, today we are going to be discussing our first two-parter, Aliens of London and World War Three by Russell T. Davis. Um, not going to lie, I've been dreading coming to these right, episodes. I, I, I'm going to surprise you. Okay. Mm, well, I was going to say I might surprise you, so who the, knows? For me, these are the best episodes we've seen so far. You have surprised me. Okay. <laughs> I'm not saying they're perfect. Oh, they, and they are not. There are a number of moments that probably more so than any other episodes I had head in hands. Oh, yeah. But definitely. when I finished watching both parts, mm-hmm. I, I was pleasantly surprised yeah, with how yeah. things had gone. Oh, I'm really pleased to hear this. Because basically, uh, what... What I have said for a while about these episodes is that they are a couple of drafts away from being phenomenal. Yeah. The, um, there are some choices that are made that really, really damage them. And as a result, they have a reputation within the fandom as a whole as the farting alien episodes. Yeah. That is yeah. the thing that people remember about them. And it kind of taints everything else that goes on around it. And I've been grappling with trying to put an actual sort of percentage of good to bad because I think the good in these episodes is really really good yes and the bad is is really really bad bad. yeah so I think I think it's like 60-40 maybe good to bad I would maybe even go I would go bigger I'd maybe say 70% good Mm. 30% bad but when it's bad it really drags it down yeah and it it breaks the flow of the episode mm. when mm. they were. Uh, so my, the, the the day that I spent watching these two episodes, mm. okay, I also went and watched the new Predator film. Okay. Oh so right, I had, that, that was a brave I, choice. I had double dosage of alien invasion yeah. media yeah. and a double dosage of potentially really really crap mm. alien invasion media. Yeah, I. Enjoyed this a great deal more than the Predator film, and I'm a huge, huge Predator fan. Yeah, I was going to say for for, for many that might sound like dallying with pre- faint praise, but knowing yeah. you, like I can see that actually, you know, you're, you you mean that sincerely. Yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. I I I genuinely had a good time with these episodes. Oh, you know what? I'm chuffed to hear that. So maybe my my fears were misplaced. Because um, I, I had a feeling that more than any other episode in the show so far, this was going to be my fandom on trial. Right. The, I, I had thought, I, I was picturing a scenario in which I was just basically going to be under fire from you for an hour plus, like some kind of like Senate hearing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> just... Just having to justify no, every no, not all. ridiculous there's, there's aspect. There's a lot of good in here. Yeah, there, there really is. And and I do think that the bad stuff, the, the real thing that really damages it is the fact that it's not sprinkled through. It's, it's basically the last chunk of episode one and then the first chunk of episode yeah. two is no. where the majority no. of the bad stuff I, is. But that's also where all the plot happens. It, it definitely... <laughs> Begins really strongly. Yeah. Ends really strongly. Yeah. But the dip in the middle is... 
is. It's a real, real weak yeah. act too. Yeah, I would say. Yeah. So, Aliens of London. Mm-hmm. First dates aired sixteenth of April two thousand and five. Yeah. Okay. And the TARDIS is back in London twelve hours after the conclusion of episode one. Yes. So the Doctor and Rose have been on these adventures, but actually in quote unquote real time they've missed twelve hours. That's certainly what the Doctor claims. Yeah. Now that's also leads into the first point where Rose is going to go speak to her mother. The Doctor's sort of hanging fire. Yeah. And Rose says to the Doctor, don't disappear. Don't you disappear. Yeah. How would she ever know? He could go for a thousand years mm-hmm. and be back ten yes. seconds later. Actually, that's interesting that you mentioned that. I, I'm, I didn't know whether I was ever going to mention this or not. There is a fan theory. You know how um, Clive... Um, in the first episode, presents all these scenarios of where, specifically, this incarnation of the Doctor, the Ninth Doctor, Christopher Eccleston, is scattered all through time and and, and history. We do not, obviously, see... I don't think it's a spoiler to say, we don't see those, we don't see the JFK episode or whatever. Um, And he is alone in those. Um, But there's no sense that that he was travelling with anyone else. In those situations. However, in the first episode, do you remember that he catches a glimpse of himself in the mirror and says, oh, you know, it is, suggesting that he is newly regenerated. Yes. Um, And then he meets Rose and starts travelling with Rose. When do those, when do those individual stories take place? Perhaps he could just pop back to the JFK. Exactly. So so that the theory is that between the moment at the end of the first episode, um, where he goes away after she rejects him and then pops back a a minute later saying, oh, did I mention it also travels in time? And that's the clincher. That in that time, he has gone off and had multiple adventures without Rose. in saying, we do see the TARDIS disappear and reappear. So it's gone somewhat. Exactly. You've just blown my mind. Yeah. I think it's a ridiculous theory, but I do kind of like it for that. (laughs) Because it's... because I'm I'm, I'm supporting that theory. (laughs) I'm in there. Excellent. Okay, and we actually find out, tying into last episode, that they've actually missed their intended target by a year. Yeah. Rose has been reported missing. Yeah. A little bit flighter than Navigator. Yes. Because everybody's obviously a little bit older. Mm Mm-hmm. But she hasn't aged a day. No, it's weird. Okay, yeah. thanks to the dodgy TARDIS and its yeah. stupid controls. It's, it's not the best. Now, one yeah. one thing I want to ask. Yeah. And it it may be the most important question I ever ask. It yeah. may mean absolutely nothing. Yeah. Going back to last episode. Yes. There is a part where Gwyneth yes. essentially reads. Yeah, because he has mind. these sort of latent psychic abilities because of the. Um, uh, the rift in Cardiff. Now, one thing she says yes. is the big bad wolf. Yeah. And a child graffitis on the side of the TARDIS, mm. the phrase big bad wolf. Mm. Now, is that relevant? Am I reading too much into this? Or is that a discussion for a later date? There's probably nothing in there. Okay. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, the police arrive because Rose is turned up yeah. a year after missing. Yeah. Okay, harking back to last episode, he asked whether their relationship is sexual. They both say no. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there is an affection there, but it, it's 
sort it's, of hammered home. It's not yeah, yeah. a sexual relationship. Okay. Rose and the Doctor go up to the roof. Yes. Okay. The same roof scene from the movie The Room, it would seem. Yeah, the, the CGI. Uh, they're not, well, not CGI, but the green screen yeah. on that is, is shocking. Is it is absolutely shocking. You know, they got a little wind machine going to give the vague impression of of that they're actually outdoors, but it is, and and you can see obviously the reason why they did that is yeah. um, what happens at the end of this. I don't know if you've got anything else you want to mention about this. Scene. Well, whilst they're up yeah. there, the Doctor reveals he's nine hundred years old. Oh yes, yeah, that's the first time he's mentioned his age. He mentions his age. Yeah, and an alien ship comes over. Yes, head. yeah, and this is the reason why that scene was shot on green screen oh, rather yeah. than on location. Yeah. Now, one one thing I wrote down the first time mm-hmm. I'd viewed this and sort of answered my own question. Yeah. The second was why why do spaceships always hit landmarks? This one hits Big Ben. It does. And then lands in the river next to the London Eye. Yes. Yeah. What? Why don't they ever just land in, like, Daventry? <laughs> you know what? You've blown my mind. Because I don't think I've ever mentioned this to you. I, w- I w- grew up in Daventry. Oh, really? Yes! Uh, I just went for... I, w- I went to university <laughs> in Northampton. Oh, of course, and yeah. I thought that's course. maybe slightly too big. I'll pick yeah, a small southern yeah. town. Yeah, just, just completely... It's just, it's also really tickles me to hear you say Southern for Daventry, but of course, yeah. I I don't want to upset you, but I was going to say it's inconsequential whether Daventry was smashed by an alien ship. I would 100% agree with that. I have often said of Daventry um, that it is a place people drive through. It is not a place you want to grow up in. It is... Like Milton Keynes, the devil's lay-by. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Yeah. Um, But... (laughs) And then... From that, I've just written, London goes mental. Yeah. They, and I imagine that'd probably be pretty similar to how it actually would. Absolutely. But I'm just glad this was filmed prior to the London riots. <laughs> yeah. It, the scene's pretty reminiscent. It is, so. but um, but there is also... I don't know whether I'm jumping ahead too much, but um, later on when people are just like having parties and yeah. stuff like that, and you see just... Hastily made homemade banners. Yeah, in the it's background a bit like and... there's a, there's a scene on I think it's the famous scene yeah. from Independence yeah. Day where they're they stood welcoming yeah. the alien overlords yeah, yeah. and they're then incinerated. Yeah, that, that's where my mind went. Yeah, because Rose's mum seems to be having one of those parties, just gatherings. Yeah, and by yeah. that yeah. I mean there is just simply a random Asian lady yeah. in their flat. Yeah. Just sort of standing around. Yeah. yeah. But the thing is, this is, again, I think we're seeing one of RTD's strengths as a writer in that he finds the humanity in yeah. the the bizarre. Um, and it, to me, it rings 100% true that in those kinds of, um, those kinds of settings, um, people would just start Gathering around whoever's got the you know the house of whoever's got the biggest telly, someone someone would just start sticking rave music on and just have you know just having an absolute rage because fuck it there's aliens yeah. you know that just makes perfect sense to me but also it's not, I don't think if I was writing that episode I don't think my mind would go there no and I and I think that's that's one of the things that Russell T Davies uniquely brings to Doctor Who and other writers I, I think haven't what, what I liked this about this episode yeah. was the real world setting was yeah. 
a pretty good representation of the real world. Yeah. It's how I imagine people probably would behave. Absolutely. Mid-2000s London, you think, you know, you cast your mind back to, to, to that time, that place, and... Uh, I mean, well, even we've not moved on that much. Even today, I don't think it would be that different. There'd be more no, smartphones no. involved, but yeah, um, yeah, that's about it. Uh, we'll we'll come to the mobile phones in this episode. Oh yeah. Um, so we then jump to the alien. Yes, I think I'm right in saying it's in a morgue. Yes, point. yeah, we've seen we've seen because um, we've got this narrative device of. Um, ba- ba- uh, have we had the scene where um, the Doctor and Rose, you know, they're, they're stuck behind the sort of police perimeter. They're trying yes, to get a I sense of so. what's going down. And eventually Rose says, we'll do what everyone else does. We'll watch it on telly. Yeah. And, and so they you, were initially going to jump in the TARDIS. Yeah. But yeah. he says, we've already got one spaceship. Yeah. Yeah. Let's not throw another in the mix. Yeah. Um, so um, there is a general, a yeah. military character yes. introduced. Yeah. And the doctor says, is it true what they're saying about the Prime Minister? And the general just walks off. Mm. So he's portrayed as a bit like the articulated meme from episode two as he's a bad egg. You see, I didn't read it that way. Um, I read that scene as simply... I Looking at the expression on his face there, my reading of that moment was that he wanted to say, because mm. he knew... But couldn't he couldn't because you know he has a sense of duty. He knows if he tells her, she could text who knows who, and then word gets out and there's mad panic. And, and, and the last thing that your general, who wants to kind of keep order in a time of crisis, is for everyone to start panicking about the fact that the True. prime minister is missing. True. So, and following on from that, we're introduced to two new characters. Mm-hmm. Okay, Joseph Green. Yeah. And Indra Ganesh. Yes. Okay, if you couldn't tell from the name, Indra Ganesh is an Indian gentleman. Yeah. It's like how all British people in media are called John Windsor. (laughs) We'll just call him Ganesh. Yeah. You know? Um, And he's actually played by a guy called Navin Chowdhury, who I don't know if you know from anywhere else. He is familiar to me, but I couldn't tell you offhand. He's in the, the Channel 4 series, Teachers, which I really, really enjoyed. I yes yeah I watched it at the time. Um, I for me it's firmly in the never go back bin. Right, like, I have a feeling it would not hold up. See, I, I've watched it. I, I watched it on release. Yeah, and um, again, pretty recently because obviously working as a teacher. Mm. Um, yeah, it, it gives you a different. It's relatable. Yeah, and I, I would say within that series, he's. The highlight. He's yeah. So he's one of two comic relief characters yeah. that I think are yeah. sort of the he's highlight. A ver- he's a very likable actor. Oh he? yeah, and he's yeah. again. I would say he's probably one of the better parts of these episodes. Yeah, of Doctor definitely. Who. Yeah. Um, so Joseph Green is the MP for Hartley Dale. Yeah. I, I don't know whether that's a real place or not. I'm pretty sure it's made up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and he by default is promoted to acting Prime Minister because the current Prime Minister is missing. Yeah. But, I mean, I'll be honest, there there is a political illiteracy to that that does slightly irk me in that unless 
Because they don't establish that the Deputy Prime Minister yep. is missing, or indeed any other, the Home Secretary, the Foreign Secretary, yep. every other senior, any other senior cabinet member. Because this guy is basically a backbencher. I think he sits on like a select committee for sugar standards right. or something like that's right so like so minor because it, it's identified yeah. through a news report who yes. he is yes and the with, news with none yeah sorry you're uh, going to say it aren't you yeah go on I'll yeah. let you Andrew Marr Andrew Marr the, ve- the very real actual political news reporter Andrew Marr yeah um, and, and he Andrew Marr reports that he's confused mm. by the fact that this politician is here yeah I think it's really really interesting that they that this early on, because you would have no difficulty getting someone like Andrew Marr on to do a cameo in Doctor Who at this point, where it yeah. is now a firmly established um, fixture in our modern TV. It, uh, it's pretty much cinema, now but... the BBC's flagship, perhaps. Certainly in terms of global audience. Yes. Yeah. Um, but back then, when nobody knew if this was going to take off, which was going this to be another Paul four, season so, one. Yeah. So he's so, in. I, so, which makes me wonder, is he a bit of a fan? It's possible. He, I mean, Very certainly so. of that generation that would have grown up with it. Mm. Um, so, um, yeah. When Joseph Green's promoted to acting Prime Minister, yeah. the nerves get the better of him, mm-hmm. and he lets out a little trump. <laughs> yes. And... This At is stage, this episode's yeah. bin burp. Yeah. I, well, I, I feel we need like a, a little <laughs> jingle for episode's bin, bin burp. Bin burp of the week. The one joke that really misses the mark. Yeah. And yeah. and and at that stage, did you have any notion that that one joke would, would become... dominate the next two <laughs> hours of my life? It's... And the thing is, it's the same sound effect repeated over and over. It is. If you go to the pound shop and bought a gag fart machine, yeah. it is that noise. Yeah, I mean, I was praising the Foley work in episode two when uh, Lady Cassandra is um, creaking and on the verge of exploding. Um, c- the same cannot be said for the f- for the fart Foley work in this uh, episode. I-, I mean, presumably there was no Foley work done no. here. It really was just, um, you know, now that's what I call farts 97, and they just... Stuck that on yeah. it. Yeah. On repeat. On repeat. <laughs> for two hours. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now, when they've watched the alien crash on the television, yeah. the doctor says, actually, they're not going to intervene at all. The crash mm. appears to be an accident. It's none of his business. Yeah. It's not an attack. It's not an assault. No. It was simply an accident. And that, therefore, makes it, um, you know, first contact yeah. at a pivotal moment in human history. Yeah. And at this point, he gives Rose a TARDIS key. Yeah. To sort of assure her that he's not going to mm-hmm. leg it. Yeah. He could still leg it and she has yeah. the key. My car has two keys. Also, My house has several. Also, how does she know it's a TARDIS key? It looks like any other just standard yeah, game. Well, he could have just popped over to Timpsons well, and got himself a key. Without jumping ahead. Yeah. Oh, well... Sort of harking back and jumping ahead a little bit. Yeah. We know that the TARDIS is controlled by a bike pump and a spinny wheel. And of all things in this episode, a hammer. So, <laughs> yes. you know, if you give me the key, I don't want the key. I want the bike pump and the hammer. Yeah. Because we now go back to Mickey, character yeah. we haven't seen since episode one. Uh-huh. Who survived the Nestine consciousness. Yeah. And he... 
it's fair to say, hasn't seen the best of days since Rose left. No, poor Mickey. He's essentially accused of her murder. Yeah. I think he says he's been interviewed by the police four times. Five times. Five times. Yeah. And, you know, basically, the doctor has ruined his life Mm -hmm. through his interaction. Yeah. So, Mickey... In the estate where he and Rose and Rose's mum seem to live, yeah, spies the doctor, pelts runs, it at the runs TARDIS. full pelt, yeah, and by the time he gets there, the TARDIS isn't there anymore. No, it has dematerialized, and he does what I would characterize as um, a underwhelming bit of slapstick. We're not talking Buster Keaton here. No, this is uh, could you know. I, I, I can see why he wouldn't want to have gone for a second take, but uh, yeah, it, it wasn't great. No, <laughs> it wasn't that funny, and no. it does look painful. Yeah. So we cut back to Downing Street. Yes. And we're introduced to another new character, Harriet Jones. Yes. Okay. She sneaks into MP the... MP for Flydale North. Flydale North. Also pretty sure not a real place. Okay, we can confirm that yeah. <laughs> sooner or later. And... She sneaks into the Prime Minister's office to mm-hmm. read the emergency protocols. Yeah. Full stop. Again, surely yeah. inconsequential. Yeah. Forward. Yeah. Yeah, you, you, of course. You you, um, you you get an actor like Penelope Wilton in to just do, do one little thing. Short then, work. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now, the reason Mickey was able to run through the TARDIS is the Doctor has flown off to the morgue where the alien has landed. Yeah. Okay, he hears an ominous crashing. Mm-hmm. Okay, and as he opens the door, the army are there essentially waiting for him. Yeah, I love that moment. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, that is a, a bit of well, uh, in in an episode full of bad comedy, that is a cracking bit that, of good comedy. That's the subtle comedy. Yeah, I enjoy yes. in Doctor Who the yeah. farts and the bins. Yeah, not so much. Yeah. Okay, and we hear a voice off screen, I believe, shouting, it's alive, I swear it was dead. Yeah. And this is where the episode fell off a cliff for me. Uh Uh-huh. The first reveal of the alien. Yes. And in my notes, you'll be able to see, I've just written, it's a fucking pig man. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so. I think I'm right in saying it's not revealed on the trailer for this episode mm-hmm. what the aliens look like so no. I had no idea what was coming no okay so you're just like oh my god I've got another hour and a quarter of, of a pig, pig man yeah like and <laughs> I, I think I'm right in saying the first time we see it it's literally trotting away <laughs> down yes. the corridor yeah and it's sort of squealing and it's okay so and then, then we get the moment where it's it the army guys they like gun it down, don't they? Yes. Does I, that does that happen in this moment, or does that is that a bit later on? But um, um, I think I'm right in saying it's now. Yeah. Okay. In, so, in as much as the doctor orders them not to, yeah, because they he do realise it, it's yeah. it's running away. Yeah. And shot in yeah. The back, exactly. So, so what I what I want to say about this whole scene, right, with with the pig. So we reveal the pig. Yeah. It's utterly ridiculous. It 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 kind of misses the mark. It's just weird and in not in an entertaining way. Just in a an off putting and yeah bad yeah. and campy and stupid way. 
and then the soldiers gun it down, and we've got this this kind of tender, tragic, sad moment. Where, and, and and you see a bit of the anger of of the doctor there, admonishing the 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 soldiers for gunning down an innocent creature that was just running away and yeah. scared. And he Eccleston plays it perfectly. And yeah. You feel the emotion in that, but you can't. But it's a fucking pig, yeah. And basically, so this to me summarizes the the essential dichotomy we have in this episode. Because that in that moment, you've got the the head in your hands ridiculousness, but also the genuine emotion and and um, power just struggling against one another. You know, Oops, in, sorry. A, in our. Uh... In our friendship, we obviously played Dungeons and Dragons together. In we the did. game yeah. that I ran, there was a reoccurring villain that was a pigman. Oh yes, there for was. absolute comedy relief reasons yes. that you were being outsmarted by a pigman. <laughs> now the reason I did that was because it was the stupidest thing I could think of at the time. Yeah, that you had literally a pig outsmarting yeah. you at every <laughs> turn. So yeah. I, I really checked out of the episode yeah. at this point. Yeah. So from here, we cut to the general that we saw earlier. Yes. With the prime minister, and they have a little farty party. So the Trumps from earlier on are back. This time, it's everybody in unison trumping away. Mm-hmm. And for the first time, it's revealed they have weird blue lights in their head. Yeah. Okay, now I thought potentially these were going to be the Gelf from last lesson. Oh, right, yeah. I thought, you know, they were weird blue light people. Yes. Okay, who could take on human bodies. I can see why you're That's where my mind went initially. Uh, So, yeah, we're introduced to the concept that they were all weird blue lights. And also, you've got the fact that they were inhabiting bodies. So, it is an essential. Initially, that's where I went with that. And we jump back to Mickey, who is probably, you know, now he's seen the doctor, goes looking for Rose, mm-hmm. goes to her mother's flat. He explains to Rose what we discussed, that yeah. he's mad at her, that the doctor's gone. Yeah. Not only is the doctor gone, but the doctor has ruined his life. Yeah. This yeah. accusation of, you know, murdering mm-hmm. Rose. Okay. Now, when Rose's mum hears that the doctor's back, she freaks out. Yes. And reports to the alien hotline that the doctor's here, the doctor's <sighs> a murderer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, cut to this sort of montage of someone typing in yeah, the, the keyword doctor. doctor now, like that. if an alien spaceship had smashed in the middle of London, I yeah. assume people would be looking for medical assistance. Exactly, yeah. So. yeah. TARDIS, I can understand as being like a, a keyword that you would actually get some some helpful search results from. Uh, well, doctor? doctor. Not so I much. Mean, <laughs> I mean, when was this? 2005? Yeah. You know, the the internet was not in its infancy. No, we, we knew how Google worked. Yeah. By 2005, or searchwise.net. Searchwise.net, <laughs> yeah. Um, and from there, the next scene reveals that the general is also a farting alien. Yes. Okay. Well, is is has he always been a farting alien? Well, my, my it, understanding is that 
up until that point, we we had seen an, the actual general because um, you've got that when the, the Slitheen are revealing themselves to him, he's sort of horrified by it, and then subsequent to that, he's they bump him off, they, well, and they have taken his skin, so they've got a new a new suit, a new position of authority that they can uh, masquerade as. And then the Doctor decides he needs to visit the spaceship to work out what's going on. Yeah. Can you remember how he decides how he's going to get there? You know what? Okay, full disclosure here. I've had a very stressful week at work. And um, it was... And it came to Friday night. We were recording this on a Saturday morning. Um, and, and I thought to myself, right, okay, this is my last opportunity to actually sit down and watch um, Aliens of London and World War Three. Um, and I did. I did my duty. But I maybe had a bit of alcoholic assistance. Right. So you were there body, <laughs> not mine. Uh, to an extent, yeah. So they decide they're going to visit the spaceship. And he says to Ricky, Yes. You've got a car. Uh-huh. Now, from episode one, we know Ricky's got a car. And mm-hmm. um, I think we described it as the shittest car imaginable. Yeah. So, it's a nice little heart back to that. Yeah. The last time we saw the car was the infamous Bin Burp. Yes. So, it's good to be there. Indeed. And when they arrive, the police and the army surround them. Yes. Okay. Now, the doctor from there is summoned into a meeting with the Prime Minister. Yeah. And Rose is befriended by Harriet Jones, the character yeah. that was introduced. MP for Flydale North. MP for Flydale North. <laughs> she does introduce herself as that. At every opportunity. Yes, yeah. It is a character quirk. Okay, so um, although these run concurrently, I'm going to discuss sort of each plot thread separately. I think that that seems a reasonable way to do it, because there is a lot of chopping back and forth. I think um, the fact that you've got... It's a two-parter, so it can spread itself a bit further as a story. There are sort of two threads for the rest of the the episodes. Yeah. So we'll start with Rose and Harriet. Yeah. Okay. They find the Prime Minister's body hidden in a cupboard. Yeah. Now, initially, I said, how did nobody notice that? It was in the commonly used chambers. Yeah. How did no one notice there was they just didn't, a dead they body? Did, they didn't even bother to lock the door. But then, with hindsight, the only people that probably had access to that room mm-hmm. are later going to be revealed as the aliens. Yes. So, I totally get that. Yeah. But also, at this point, the aliens... Are approaching Rose's mum. Yes. So I think there's one who is a policeman. Yeah, but it's posing as a police officer. And one thing I struggled with a little bit is in order to relieve themselves of human form, mm-hmm. the aliens unzip across their foreheads. Yes. Now we're talking zip continuity, aren't we? Yeah. At yes. some points, they're entirely visible. Yes. You know, and they're not like. The small zips you might get mm-hmm. on a jacket pocket. No, it's then, a big, chunky zip. Yeah, yeah, like you would get on a child's coat. Yes. Yeah. And sometimes they're there, sometimes they're not. I have a feeling this is the one scene where we see a visible zip. Maybe there's another one later. I'm not sure. But I think this is the one moment, and I sometimes wonder, was there a decision that, that obviously, I this, the zip I'm pretty sure is CGI, Potentially. And I think they did it for this one, but then maybe made a decision not to not do it. To. But, but then they left it in that one scene. And I, I, I don't... Yeah. 
I don't know what happened there, and then, but it's it was a stupid choice. In the scenes, it's not there. They still mimic the action of unzipping yeah, exactly. their head, but yeah. there's no zip. But I can imagine... I, I'm more than happy to go with... You know, because it's Doctor Who, you have to suspend your disbelief. I'm more than happy to go with the idea that they've got invisible zip technology. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. I will go with that. And it, and it's a strong image, I think, the idea of just, you know, slowly... And and, and I do like the sort of almost sadistic pleasure they take it, in it, it when becomes, they're taunting humans. It becomes it, yeah. like a menacing cue yeah. that something bad yeah. is on Absolutely. And I do think that all works. What doesn't work is when you have... You know, absurd inconsistency with your zip choices. Is the zip visible or not? And also, if it is visible, why would everyone not immediately notice? Why the fuck has that police officer got a massive zip on his forehead? Yeah. Uh, it's the, the only people yeah. it works with is punks. Yeah. You think Vivian from the Young Exactly. Ones. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now, whilst that's happening, the doctor is in his meeting with the Prime Minister, yeah. and they explain there was a satellite detected. Radiation in the North Sea. Right. Okay. At this point, cue back to Star Wars. Yeah. The Doctor says it's a trap. He does indeed. All the people that could stop them have been gathered in one room. Yeah. So the aliens can take out any opposition in one fell swoop. Yeah. And the people in the room are electrocuted. Yeah. Including the Doctor. Yeah. Now... Electrocuted by Lanyard, no less. Yeah. Yeah, because the... Again, it's almost a throwaway thing, yeah. but they make sure everybody has yes. an appropriate yeah. lanyard. Yeah. And this is the first time we see one of the Slithy. Yeah. Now, in initially, mm-hmm. this enraged me <laughs> because the design of the Slithine must be solely responsible for the design of Funko Pops. <laughs> The huge black circular <laughs> eyes, the tiny little smiley <laughs> mouths. Okay, all I thought immediately, initially, I'd written "baby faced assassin." <laughs> then I changed that to "baby faced tyrant" because when you could see the full body, yeah. they're reminiscent of the tyrants from Resident Evil. Uh-huh. And then I've just crossed that out and just written it looks like a Funko Pop. Yeah, if there is a Funko Pop. Of the Slithine. I couldn't find one when I checked. There must be. I checked Amazon. I checked yeah. eBay. I couldn't There's find one straight away. There's a lot of Doctor Who for Oh, yeah. Pops, there are. Yeah. But not a Slithine. Because yeah. if they did, it would just literally look like this. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the design of the Slithine. I don't know this for a fact. But I have a feeling... Because... Um, uh, this is the Slovene are a new creation. Right? Okay, they, so they're they, not. They're not classic. They are not classic, but I think that there was an intention to consciously try and make them in the vein of a classic Doctor Who monster. No. That they wanted to go for something, you know, big rubber suit, uh, weird and stupid. It's looking. interesting you say that because I'm. A big supporter of practical effects over yeah. CGI. Yeah. But I think with the Slovene, the CGI where they're on screen yeah. is occasionally better than the practical. There's yes. there's a couple of scenes where you see them run across a room yeah. and the CGI, they're nimble. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're fleeting. Yeah. yeah. But when it's the practical, it's a man shuffling 
and the movement yeah. isn't as fluid. Absolutely. And and the thing that I find frustrating about it is that disconnect. It's like, because they move in such different ways, it, it, it kind of takes me out of it. It makes it harder for me to believe in them as a genuine threat. If they were consistently CGI or consistently practical and you yeah. didn't have that disconnect, I think it would be stronger. Now, obviously, at this stage, they would never have had the budget to do yeah. the CGI and throughout. I, I don't want to say the CGI is perfect, but it no. is. It's it's the best I think we've probably seen. Yeah, a lot of effort has gone into it, and when you when and when you contextualise it, two thousand and five BBC budget and a small one at that, it's pretty impressive work. Um, but it does frustrate me that that no effort was made to marry up the movements of the creature with what the footage that we have of the rest. I, I wonder whether it's a case that they had to, to, to create those scenes before they'd even shot the practical effects footage. So maybe they were just working off, um, the just, I don't know, just designs of, of the creature and they hadn't actually got any reference footage of yeah. actors in costumes performing as them. Um, but yeah, that's one of the things that has always stuck out and annoyed me about the, these episodes. Now, before we move on to, Part two, World War Three. I've just been looking at my notes, and um, there was one other thing that we've skipped over, and it's understandable that you would have skipped over. I, I, I tend to make much more sparse notes than you, mm-hmm. and, and let you do the leading, because obviously this is your first journey through these episodes. Um, so, yeah, it's understandable you wouldn't have noticed the significance, but there is mention of unit for the first time. Right. In this uh, series, I think the context was um, the Doctor sort of mentioning the unit and mentioning the fact that he used to work for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as a result, that's part of why he's known as an expert in, in alien uh, goings on. Now, this is a reference to um, a long established part of uh, classic Doctor Who history. Um, unit with, were the United Nations Intelligence Task Force. A, a uh, military organisation uh, dedicated to sort of uh, investigating and neutralising sort of weird threats and, <laughs> and things of that nature. Um, first introduced in the Second Doctor's era, so very early on in the show's history, uh, towards the back end of the Patrick Troughton years. And then uh, a very, very substantial aspect of the Third Doctor's era. Because the Third Doctor's era was interesting in that uh, the central conceit of it was that he had been exiled to Earth. Right. So actually, whilst he had the TARDIS, he couldn't use it. And so he was stuck on Earth. Um, and he kind of settles down and gets a day job. He And he becomes a scientific advisor for units. Right. And so they brought back some of these characters that had appeared in a couple of uh, random uh, Patrick Troughton stories. And they became sort of regular supporting cast. Uh, particularly Brigadier Lethbridge-Stewart, who was kind of the the, the leader of, of this sort of British wing of unit. Um, and so it is the, the closest you will ever see the Doctor cooperating with a military organisation. Right. Um, and it gives that era a very unique thing, and it's a lot of people's favourite period of the show. Okay. I've actually recently finished watching the last few John Pertwee stories that I've never seen before. Um, so I have now watched all of that era, and I have a lot of affection for it. Is it, is it acknowledged in that time that mm. the Doctor can and inevitably will be another form, another person? Would 
would somebody recognise Eccleston Doctor as Pertwee Doctor? Uh, they were he um, in the episode in, in this episode he he kind of mentions offhand that oh that was a long time ago I you know they wouldn't recognise me right. um, so that is kind of of there but um, the Br- Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart in particular. Um, would recognise many incarnations of the Doctor. He's met many over the years, okay. especially if we to take take into account um, the big Finnish audio sort of supplementary yeah. stories. Um, so, yeah, the, the the history of Unit it, it won't be the last time you hear mentions right. uh, uh, and references to that era because it is something that a lot of classic fans hold very very dear to their hearts, and it is one of the earliest examples in this show of actually consciously referencing back to the classic right. era. It's not necessary because there was some ambiguity at this stage as to whether we, whether this was a continuation New or a or, reboot. Yeah. yeah, and this doesn't necessarily make it clear either way. It's easy to toss in a reference to something, but still, essentially, yeah, for it to be a completely new continuity. Um, but this is the first, one of those little breadcrumbs for the classic fans, right? Yeah. So, that concludes episode four. It does indeed. We're on to episode five now, World War Three. Yeah. From April 23rd, uh, 2005. Yeah. So, episode four ends with the Doctor in peril being electrocuted. Yeah. Episode five begins with the Doctor just overcoming that. Just, <laughs> he, he, he just stands up. He's yeah. fine, really. You see, again, that is some... Um, with the classic series, when you've got 24... Serialised stories, 25-minute episodes, um, every single episode ends on a cliffhanger. Right. Without fail. Many of those cliffhangers are really quite poor. Right. Okay. <laughs> and and a lot of them end with, oh no, the Doctor is definitely going to die this time. And then he oh no, wait, better. he's fine. Right. Um, yeah. And so I wonder if that is almost a deliberately tongue-in-cheek right. um, reference to that. Okay. So, um, he then proceeds to attack one of the aliens that seems to hurt all the other aliens. Yes. And at the same time, Mickey is in the flat with Rose's mum, Jackie. Yeah. We're, in, we're, in, we're in Mickey's flat. Yeah. In Mickey's flat, sorry. Yeah. Uh, and he's overcome the policeman alien. Yeah. With a well-aimed stool or a chair, I think. I think so. Yeah. And yeah. he takes a pick on the... This is clearly pre-iPhone. Oh, yes, it is. This was yeah. when Nokia ruled the roost. Yeah. And he takes a real pixelated yeah. photo. Yes. Okay. The glory days of the 3310. Yeah. And, the, the, and I think flip phones were just becoming the new thing, weren't they? I think you're just starting 2005. to... 2005. I think you're just starting to see flip phones. I, I think I had. Yeah. If not the Nokia used in this yeah. episode, but very similar. Yeah. 2005, I would have just been going into my second year of university. Mm. I was definitely on the Nokia bandwagon. Yeah. I think, because I think at this time, I had I had one of those ones where it was a flip phone. It was, I think it was a Samsung that had like a little blue porthole shaped yes. screen on the yeah. front. I think I had one of those. 2005, 2006, something around there. Mm. Yeah, uh, what, complete tangent, but one of the things that I've always loved about Breaking Bad is the fact that it started in, I think, 2008. Um, and obviously, 
that the story that they tell takes place over a much shorter period of time than, than the period yes. in which the show is made. I think the events of Breaking Bad take Bad take place over a year or two, maybe. So it's all 2008 to 2010-ish. But by the time the show is ended, it's like, we're talking 2016, something like that. And so everyone in Breaking Bad has a flip phone. Yeah. It, it, it's all pre-iPhone. Yeah. And, and, and as it goes on, it, you know, it, as we... You know, if you were watching it as it was coming out, it starts to feel weird and weirder that everyone who got these ancient phones. Children a, nowadays wouldn't even know. What yeah, yeah. Um, but you've got to admit that commitment. You've got to admire that commitment to phone continuity there. Much better than this, the zip continuity yeah. that we mentioned. This anyway, yes. And Doctor Who is framed by the new temporary Prime Minister. Yeah. Okay. When he tries to expose the aliens and there's an order to execute. Yes. It then jumps to Rose and Harriet, who are chased. This is the chase scene we talked about with the pretty good, strong CGI. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And we then have the revelation of the final phase. Yeah. And we'll we'll come back to that. We will. Because to escape the the aliens, the Doctor uses... Now, I, I... I and my two brothers in our youth were huge, huge fans of professional wrestling. Yes. American professional wrestling. We still are to an extent. Mm-hmm. And one of my all-time favourite things is if somebody is having the snot beaten out of them, they'll reach under the ring and pull out a fire extinguisher and just blast somebody in the face. <laughs> and that's what we get here. A good old bit of hardcore wrestling. Okay? So... Manages to blind the alien, save Rose and Harriet, and the Doctor begins questioning the Slitheen. Yeah. He understands it's not an invasion, so what is this final phase? Mm -hmm. And it's revealed that the Slitheen is not an alien race. It is a surname. Yes. So this is a family of aliens. Yes. Conducting what they refer to as family business. Yeah. Okay. And after the lockdown, they're going to summon the family. Mm-hmm. Okay, now I was unsure at the time whether that meant summon from outer space or whether right. there were more yeah. hidden yeah. amongst hidden us. In Earth. Yeah. And they referred to the hunt. Mm-hmm. But we'll come back to that because yeah. I thought the hunt was going to be literally let's hunt, hunt the humans, humans but yeah. it doesn't quite get that far. No, um, so I'm curious. So this is the point at which we re- they reveal the name of the, the planet. And, yeah. Yeah. Have, do you want to have a go at pronouncing it? Right. Raxacorico Fullopatorius. Pretty close. Uh, Raxacorico... Uh, hold Rax- on, hold on. You can't say I'm f- <laughs> close. It's, I think it's Raxacorifalopatorius. Yeah, Fallopatorius. What, what I did was listen to it, yeah. rewind the episode, yeah. put the subtitles on, yeah. and write it down. I feel like that's cheating. So, yeah, <laughs> I've got that. Yeah. Uh, Which would, of course, would make them Raxacora Fallopatorians. Yes. Raxacora Fallopatoriites, potentially. We'll stick with Slithing. Yeah. Everybody else does. Yeah. Okay. And it's revealed that the protocols in place are redundant. Anyone who can help is now dead. 
Whilst we've talked about the phone sort of dating the episode, yes. we're, I'm, I'm going to sort of linger on that point a little yeah. bit. Yeah, I think I know what's coming. The Doctor uses, I think, Rose's phone yeah. from episode two yeah. to contact Ricky. Mickey. Or Mickey. Ricky. Mickey. It, yeah. it goes on and on. It that, does. That's another joke that... Mm, yeah. Wears thin, yeah. pretty soon. Yeah, good he, job that's never going to come up again. Yeah. Uh, anyway, he, yeah. he uses the most CompuServe AOL <laughs> you know, computer. Yeah, and just manages to log into NORAD. Yeah. Okay. So, should we talk about the password? Yeah, Buffalo. Is, is that an old Doctor Who reference? No. It, it's just Buffalo. It's just bad writing. Just it's Buffalo. It's what, what that is. That's just Russell T. Davis not being asked with how computers or security systems See, I, work. I would say that, that would have been an opportunity to throw in an Easter egg. Oh, absolutely. Link. Yeah. But it just never comes. It's just... It's just... Buffalo. Buffalo. Like, it's not even got any uppercase or lowercase no. or numerals. It's not Buffalo one, characters. two, three, you know. <laughs> Buffalo, but the O is a zero. <laughs> Okay. There is just no, and the, just the central concept that you would have one password, one, password. one single password that never changes. Yeah, that could be used to hack into literally anything. That's right, because all of the world's F- separate global security systems and it's on Buffalo. Whatever it is, just and look, I've tried this. It doesn't work. You've tried I've, hacking NORAD. Not specifically NORAD, but I've tried every no- so often if I've forgotten my password for something and I'm Is getting annoyed. Just I just stick Buffalo in just in case. It's never once worked. Right. So, whilst on the phone, yep. the doctor, whilst he's speaking to, speaking to Ricky and Mickey, yeah. he addresses Rose's mum and she demands to know that Rose will be safe. Yeah. And the Doctor cannot make that promise. Yeah. Or he maybe can, but he does not make that promise. No. Okay. Now, the police alien yeah. reappears. Mm-hmm. And it's coming for um, yeah. Mickey and Rose's mum. regrouped. You're going to have another yeah. pop. Gathered his them. thoughts. Now, yeah. we have seen them in Downing Street yeah. kicking through solid wood panel doors. Yes. This one cannot kick through a 20 quid B&Q MDF door <laughs> in their flat. Yeah. There's a bit of inconsistency there. I mean, you say that, but I would al- almost argue that that is more realistic. Because I, as an overweight, weak little man, would not be able to kick a door down. I, I guarantee, because we, yeah. we record this in my attic loft room. Yeah. Okay? I... I would bet you'd surprise yourself with how easy you could kick through a door. Okay? Yeah. So, in my youth, I used to work at B&Q. Yeah. In, you know, the hardware home section. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- those doors are little more than cardboard and a panel of thin wood. Mm-hmm. If uh, the alien can easily kick through that. How do you know that Mickey hasn't... Uh, invested reinforced. in a steel reinforced well, door. Possibly. Yeah. Possibly. I mean, he's certainly not spending that money on up-to-date computing <laughs> systems. Yeah. So, at this point, it's revealed to us why 
we have to suffer the constant fart jokes. Mm-hmm. Okay? So, it comes from gas compression yeah. to decrease the overall size yeah. of the slitheens yes, so they can adopt they, human form. Yeah, they are much bigger. They're about eight foot yeah, top than, okay, than yeah. the humans. And which is why they're also targeting humans who are on the chunky yes, side. Yeah. yeah. Right, now allow... Allow me to give you a basic science lesson. Okie doke. Okay. Yeah. Now, I, I've been teaching this to year nine. Uh, okay. I'm a science teacher. So these children, yeah. 13, 14, maybe mm-hmm. slightly older. Yeah. Okay. When you compress a gas, all you are doing is relieving the space between the molecules. Yeah. You're making okay. it denser. Yeah. yeah. So you're essentially removing nothing. Mm-hmm. Other than emptiness, empty space. Yeah. So if you were compressing this gas, yeah, there would be no fart mm. because nothing is being released, nothing yeah. is being lost. You're just moving the molecules closer together. Closer together. Yeah. So, a there should be no farts. So it, it wouldn't create any kind of force. No, not at all. Okay. It, you would imagine. Imagine a syringe yeah. with air. You are able to press that plunger. Yeah. Okay? Now, the only time it would make any noise is if you relieved your finger from the end of the plunger yeah. and the gas is able to move. Yeah. You can compress the space yeah. without moving the gas. There's no need for the farts. You tell that to RTD. Okay. <laughs> Secondly, as you alluded to, yeah. when you relieve the space between the molecules... You increase the density. Yes. So, whilst in human form, they would they be able to physically uphold their bodies because all of a sudden their head may be four times as dense. Their heads are huge yeah. compared to human. Um, I'm would gonna... they have the neck strength, the upper body strength to hold up? We don't know enough about the physiology of Raxacora phallicotorians to... To make a, a firm judgment on that. Because go, go we can only go with the evidence of our own eyes, and we can clearly see um, them clambering inside uh, human skin suits and getting about their business just fine. So, presumably, they've got they've adapted to that. Because going, going to another popular media that I love, yes, Dragon Ball Z, yes, the Japanese anime manga, yeah, okay. The one of the main characters in certainly in Dragon Ball, less so in Dragon Ball Z, is a character called Bulma, right? Um, or Bloomers in Japan. She's basically named after pants. That's the That's... Japanese humor coming through, right? Okay. And her father owns what's called the Capsule Corporation, and he's essentially the richest man in the world because he was able to compress matter into tiny little capsules. So wherever you are. So, Bulma, for example, when they're out adventuring, can yeah. summon a house from one of these capsules. Okay, so essentially Pokeball technology. Yes, yeah, very much so. Right. Okay. okay. Now, one of the most common arguments the Dragon Ball fan base will have, outside of, you know, who's stronger than who, mm-hmm. is how can you carry a house? Yeah. Because I think it actually states we just decrease the space between the molecules Therefore, you'd have an, the weight of a house, the exactly. mass of a house, yeah, yeah, within that tiny. Yeah, it doesn't make it any easier to transport. From exactly. A, so yeah. I had a long hard think about. Yeah, it is completely unnecessary that they fart yeah. constantly. Yeah, I, 
I I feel like now is as good a time as any to remind you that um, Doctor Who Doctor is stupid and makes yeah. no sense. It is it is certainly on the soft end of the sci-fi spectrum. Mm. We are not talking about hard science fiction here. I would even go so far as to say I I would actually characterize it as a science fantasy show. Mm. It uses the trap some of the trappings of sci-fi um, to tell what are essentially fantasy stories. <laughs> now, we we discussed the strength of the Slitheen breaking yes. through the door. Yeah. Now, Mickey obviously questions the strength of his door because he blocks it with the flimsiest looking plastic chair. Yeah. Um, you know, a small child could probably move that out of the way. But it well, holds. I mean, well, he's struggling with the door to begin with, so presumably you know, throwing a yeah. small plastic chair, chair on that. That's now, I mean, impossible. This then links to the reason why the the farts smell is yeah. calcium decay. That's okay. how the doctor uses that to track where they're from. Yes. He uses a series of questions. Yeah, so to kind of whittle it down to almost 20 questions style as to figure to out where yeah. they're from. Yes. Okay, we work out it's due to calcium decay. Yes. And the best way to overcome that is with acid. Yes. So Rose's mum just acid attacks one of them, just yep. throws vinegar yep. in its face. Th- thankfully, uh, Mickey... A, a um, keen fan of pickled goods. Yeah. Very lucky. I mean, I don't know what your kitchen cupboards are like. I've, I occasionally have a jar of gherkins in the house. I've I definitely don't... got gherkins, maybe pickled onions, and yeah. some malt vinegar. I think... Does he not have pickled eggs as well? Who knows? And he certainly has what I would characterise to be an unusual quantity, a, a worrying quantity of pickled goods <laughs> for yeah. a single man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you, you've just reminded me, there used to be one of my all-time favourite comedy sketches. Yeah. It used to be on Live and Kicking, the British children's mm-hmm. TV programme. Yeah. And it was by Trevor and Simon, who were staples. You know I think I remember this. Pickling time. Yeah. With Pickling Jeff. And his sidekick, Joby. I do have, like, it's dim, distant memories for me. me but certainly, I certain... certainly my older yeah. brother. If ever we're having a meal together and someone is served something pickled, we'll sing the Pickling Time song. <laughs> Would you care to, to entertain us with a rendition? Um, I think I'm right in saying it goes, it's Pickling Time with Pickling Jeff, and Joby's here as well. They'll pickle this, they'll pickle that. If you don't watch out, they'll pickle your hat. <laughs> and it always led to hilarious yeah. consequences. Yeah, pickle-based consequences. Okay, yeah. we could talk about pickled goods all day. We could. Perhaps we should. Maybe that's an idea for a spin-off a, podcast. A sister podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so the Prime Minister, who we know now is an alien. Yeah. Or the temporary Prime Minister, as it was. Mm-hmm because the real Prime Minister's dead, addresses the world and says, we're facing extinction. Yes. Okay. So we didn't really discuss it, but the pigman is a ruse. Yes, yeah. This is all part of a convoluted scheme. Yeah. So what the plan was, was to trick the world into thinking yeah. we were under attack yeah. from... That we were facing an Independence Day scenario. From pigman. Yeah. That would grant the Prime Minister the use of nuclear weapons from the UN. Yes. He would then turn those nuclear weapons on the Earth. Yes. Eradicating all life. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And 
irradiating the earth so he could sell it as a energy source. Yeah. It would be Spank that it fuel. It would be that radioactive. Yeah. You would essentially have a planet's worth of fuel. Yeah. So the signal that was picked up in the North Sea was actually an advert. Yes. Into space, come to Earth, get your radioactive rocks. Yeah. Okay. So this time the doctor openly states to Rose and her mum that he cannot guarantee her safety. Yeah. And it's actually at this point that Mickey manages to fire the missile mm-hmm. using the buffalo login. Yeah. And it he just, fires... It's not secure, guys. You yeah. need to think of it. <laughs> at least change it regularly. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Carry on. And the plan is they're going to fire the missile at Downing Street. Yes. Because there's a brief history lesson where we learned that the chamber that Rose, yeah. the doctor... And Harriet the cabinet to, rooms, yeah. is, you know, I think they say something like foot-thick steel yeah, and concrete. Installed in the early 90s. Okay. So the plan is, let's bomb Downing Street. We'll be safe. Yeah. We'll wipe out the aliens. Right. They use a low-grade missile as opposed to nuking London. Mm-hmm. Okay. But there's, you know, that part sort of makes sense. Yeah. Okay. And as the missile is fired, yes, I, I didn't pick it up at first. The first time I thought the alien said, oh boy, <laughs> with the subtitles on, it was clear he was about to say, oh bollocks. I thought that was a bit crass for Doctor <laughs> Who. We haven't had any swearing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So Downing Street blows up. Yeah. It's hit by the missile. The Doctor, Rose and Harriet are all safe. And as Harriet walks away... The Doctor says, oh, I knew I knew that name. Yeah. She's going to become Prime Minister for Britain's Golden Age. Yeah. Which is a nice little... It is. It's a really... I think Harriet Jones is a really interesting character, especially the further we we move away from this episode, when we look at the current political climate, um, and we think about the kind of level of cynicism that most people have about politicians, that I think, and it's fair to say this episode is is kind of rooted in a cynicism and a some rather heavy-handed political satire that we will get to before mm-hmm. we finish this episode. Um, but the character of Harriet Jones is essentially, I think, RTD's idealistic view of what a politician yeah, should she, be. Yeah, she's virtuous throughout. She's, yeah. she's one of... The few characters we've met, even the good guy characters, yeah. that is without flaw. If anything, yeah. her only flaw is how duty bound she exactly. is. Exactly. Yeah. Way. Yeah. So, which is which is a bit like when you when you're preparing for a job interview and and you're debating whether or not you can say, "I think my biggest flaw would be I'm." Too organised? Yeah. And too much of a perfectionist. That, yeah. If anything, Which, I work too hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Could I get away with that? Um, but yeah, no, that, I think you're right that it is almost one no. Um, but yeah, I think she is there to provide a counterbalance to all of the political cynicism from which this episode is otherwise born. And I do mm. think... Should we talk about it now? It's now... I, I think now is about the time that... Go on. Um... I don't know if you picked up on this or not. Um, a lot of this episode is a f- thinly veiled 
allegory for the um, political climate surrounding the invasion of Iraq. Oh, I, I didn't make that link. Uh, if you recall, when the uh, Saldin, who is the acting prime minister, is making his speech um, to rally the world and basically get the nuclear codes, um, he talks about the impending threat of the aliens who have weapons that they could launch within 45 seconds, which is a reference to the dodgy dossier and the 45 minutes claim oh. of Saddam Hussein's. Uh, weaponry. There is also a mention early, I think they actually say Harriet Jones uh, they make an oblique reference to the, the vote for the Iraq war and, and, and Harriet Jones also says, which I voted against, thank you very much and, mm. you know, and if you think about it, 2005 it, 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 this was very current still yeah. at that time um, so yeah, that is the sort of underpinning of this episode oh, um, I, I'm the sort of person that reads Animal Farm and just thinks it's about cows and pigs. So, <laughs> no, I, I totally, totally missed that. Yeah, so I don't know if that um, if that colours your opinion of this episode because that's one of the things that I always that makes me more forgiving of the flaws of this episode because it comes from this place that I think is like it's kind of fascinating that so early on because that seems, that to me feels like a risk. Mm. To do to your big alien invasion that's actually not an invasion. I like that twist as well, that it's not an invasion story masquerading as one. I suppose especially with it coming from the BBC yeah. as well. And who so, are yeah. quote unquote politically yeah. neutral. So early on as well. But I get the feeling that Russell T. Davis kind of grabbed the ball by the horns. He got this opportunity to write for his favourite show. Uh, to 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 re uh, not just write for it but to reimagine it for a new era, yeah. And he was maybe thinking, I get one shot at this. I'm gonna do everything that I ever thought we should do with yeah. with Doctor Who, and um, and I think that does come across. And and so that's why he doesn't pull his punches necessarily. Um, but yeah. So yes, yeah. and then we sort of have the final scene where mm-hmm. the Doctor goes to the TARDIS. Rose goes home for a tea. Yeah. And one of the moments of the episode that resonated with me is just simply when Rose's mum says, don't go. Yeah. You know, clearly they've had the worst year in her absence. It's, yeah. Whether she can go through that again. You, you almost forget about it because so much other stuff happens after those initial scenes, but... Yeah, the whole time, if you actually stop and think about what Jackie must have gone through for that year... yeah. And Mickey as well. Well, speaking of Mickey, yeah. the Doctor tells Mickey slash Ricky that mankind isn't ready for aliens. Yeah. Okay? So he gives him a virus to yeah. sort of wipe the web of the Doctor's presence. Yeah. He likes so, to keep a low profile when he can. Well, it's 2005. You put yeah. that on LimeWire. You put it on yeah. BitTorrent, yeah. Pirate Bay. Yeah, you know, rename it as a... I don't know, a real big fish yeah, <laughs> or exactly. something. Exactly. <laughs> I, I remember when I was at university, it was when superhero films were just sort of taking off. Yeah. So I remember specifically there was X-Men 3, Spider-Man 3. Yeah. And possibly maybe very, very early in the MCU. Yeah. Okay, maybe not. It was maybe well, slightly late. Two thousand and eight was Iron Man. So okay, so yeah. it was maybe just maybe, just pre just MC. pre that. Yeah. So it it was possibly the Eric Banner Hulk film might be what. Ah, oh, right, yeah. So yeah. I I remember going through 
the worst week of my life downloading torrents for these three <laughs> films. And every time I got it, it was the Charlize Theron sci-fi film Aeon Flux. <laughs> okay, now, I don't know if you've ever seen Aeon Flux. I haven't. It's kind of been on my to-do. I've watched some of the original animated series okay. it's based on. It, it is appalling. Mm. Okay? But it also has a Doctor Who link. Doesn't it? Because the bad guy in Aeon Flux is played by Sean Pertwee. Oh, son awesome. Of, son of John Pertwee, who we were we discussing go. earlier on. There we go. I'm catching up and, on my and Doctor Who. Who is una- has now basically, at this stage in his life, has reached the age that his father was when he took on the role of Doctor Who, if that makes sense. So there is a photo of him cosplaying as the third Doctor um, for Halloween a couple of years ago, and it is uncanny. Like, would, he is the absolute spitting image. Would you like to see Sean Pertwee as the next Doctor? No. I would, but, but I would potentially be open to seeing him coming right. back and portraying the third Doctor. Oh. If they were to ever, ever to, well, certainly if they were ever to do that and to recast, because it's, it does happen occasionally have, that I, they have... I have a memory of a news article I maybe once mm. read where a character's son had played the character in Doctor Who. Am I imagining that? Um, I don't... Well, there have been... Uh, Sean Pertwee has never been like... But Patrick Troughton's son... That might be has ...has appeared actually a couple of times in the modern series, which, you know, we'll get to when we get to. Yeah. But, um... Uh, but... Uh, they have, on occasion, brought back a classic Doctor and had to recast them. For example, in The Five Doctors, which was the 30th anniversary, I think. Yeah. Um, by that stage, uh, William Hartnell, the first Doctor, had passed on. So they, they um, recast him with, a character, uh, with an actor called Richard Herndall. Um, and... You know, so it that has happened occasionally when they've needed to portray a previous incarnation and the original actor isn't able to reprise the role. So if they were to ever do that with a third Doctor, I wouldn't want them to do it with anyone other than Sean Pertwee. Yeah. It would just be, a, you're wasting your time, lads. Just don't do it. Yeah. By the situation. <laughs> and then, yeah. so the episode ends with Rose explaining time travel to her mum. Yeah. And says, I'll be back in ten seconds. Yeah. And her mum counts to ten. And she doesn't reappear. Oh, breaks my heart. It's quite a sad yeah, ending. Very sad ending, yeah. Uh, and I think, yeah, RTD is so good at that kind of stuff. Those little coders, those little character moments that kind of bring you back to Earth. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Bit, yeah, a bit of a sad, sad, end, a sad end to a very difficult couple of episodes yeah. to, to get yeah. your When it's into. good, it's, it's very, very good. And when it's bad, it's horrid. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's not one... That, I'll be honest, they are ones that I do tend to skip. If right. I'm just going through I, I and think just hitting I, the highlights... I think I un- could understand that. I, yeah. Like I say, they're probably the ones I've enjoyed the yeah. most since we've started yeah. this. But I don't think I would watch them. No, they, they are a bit of a slog. And, and the more the more you watch it... The harder it is to overlook the flaws, yeah. I feel like. Um, but having said that, I would never recommend anyone skip them on first viewing. No. Because no. of the, the things that it sets up, and also 
I think you learned a valuable letter at this stage. You are being taught the valuable lesson with Doctor Who that you take the good with the bad, you take the yeah. rough with the smooth. You will get plenty of both. Yeah, but it definitely. is worth it for when you get those highs and they really do hit. Um, and yeah, that's probably maybe a good place to leave it for this episode. Well, you got what? You got anything else? I of course watched the trailer for the next episode. Oh yes. Which I haven't. I I should start getting the habit of watching just so I can see what What's you see. Coming. But yeah. So the next episode, I think I'm right in saying it's called Daleks. Dalek. Dalek. Singular. Because it is revealed at the end of the trailer, this is the first time we're going to see the Daleks. Yeah. Or a Dalek. Yeah. Which was a deliberate choice because um, the BBC were putting a lot of pressure on RTD to actually put Daleks in the first episode. And he specifically said to them, no, Doctor Who coming back is a big enough deal. Let's save it for the middle of the first series so when people are starting to lose interest... Then We've we got can... this second wind right. of of interest um, with his most iconic villain returning. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, yeah. This is I think it's interesting to think about this because it's like um, pre spoiler culture mm. in back in two thousand and five. That wasn't really such a big deal. So people wouldn't nowadays. A lot of younger fans, well, especially I read that... on message boards, they lament the fact that it just that the, they. Telegraph so early. Oh, this is the Dalek episode. It's so, not a big surprise. So but obviously, I, I'm watching yeah. them on the iPlayer streaming service. Yeah. yeah, where each episode ends with the trailer for the next episode. Yeah, is that how the episodes are aired? Yes, they so all each aired, one aired with, a, with the next time trailer. Okay, so people knew a week in advance. Yeah, that Daleks were that coming. The Daleks back. were coming, and it built buzz. And it, and it genuinely did work as a ploy. I think right. the, the viewing figures did shoot up for the next episode. Um, when when word got out that, oh, Doctor Who and the Daleks were back. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we won't say any more about them. We'll right. you know, wait to see what you think of it. So, we'll leave that there. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening. Um, and until next time, cheerio. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Neither the Time or the Space. Feel free to get in contact with us. Our email address is timenorspacepod at gmail.com. Alternatively, over Twitter, we are at timenorspacepod. And thank you to Alexander Urban for his smashing arrangement of the Doctor Who theme.